Are there just too many coincidences coming together to paint a real bad picture for Alec Murdoch? Can you believe that Brian Koberger had an issue with women? Apparently got him fired. Alec Baldwin comes out swinging and then finally our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Hit that little bell so that you receive notifications and leave us a comment about what we discuss here today. Before we get to the docket, let's support the people that support the channel. Go to crimetalksearch.com. Sign up for that background subscription service today. You will be able to do a background search on anyone here in the United States. And that report is literally generated while you wait. And it's going to have information as to whether somebody has a criminal history. Are they on one of those public registries? Hmm. That's right. Are they married? Are they divorced? Do they have liens? Do they have judgments against them? Types of things that you need to know about people that are coming into your life. Go to crimetalksearch.com, sign up today. You'll be happy you did. And remember, you can cancel at any time. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for February 8th, 2023. First on the docket, the Alex Murdoch case. Well, when we were filming this, there was a pause in the action. Why? Did they reach a settlement? No, apparently somebody called in a bomb threat to the courthouse and they cleared everybody out while they figure out if there's in fact a real bomb there. My guess is probably no bomb, just a threat, but it certainly throws a little bit of disruption into the proceedings. Could it intimidate jurors? Hmm, who knows? Um, we'll also maybe be able to find out uh, who made the threat if that is in fact possible. It probably is very possible given today's technology and what we know about cell phones. Much of that we've learned through Mr. Alec Murdoch. All right, through his uh, trial today, Alec Murdoch's defense team has tried to raise a little doubt about evidence that would tie this blue raincoat to a gun prosecutors believe was fired by Alec Murdoch the night his wife and son were murdered. Now, Megan Fletcher, she is a gun residue expert with the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED. She took the stand yesterday and regained uh, the stand today, where she basically testified from the night of the murders and later from the home of Murdoch's mother as it relates to the gunshot residue. Uh, Ms. Fletcher began her testimony by answering questions from prosecutors about examination of Murdoch's clothes from the night of the murder, which was June 7th of 2021. In particular, they were asking questions regarding the raincoat investigators removed from the home of Murdoch's mother. Now, Ms. Fletcher said she took samples from the blue raincoat taken from Murdoch's mother's house, which tested positive for gunshot residue. Fletcher said there were about 38 gunshot primer residue particles on the inside of the jacket, including three on the inside of the hood. It was a, such a significant number that she ultimately decided to stop counting the little gunshot residue particles. She said that this jacket could have been in the vicinity of the discharge of a firearm or something with gunshot residue could have been transferred to it, which is what we've been saying all along. It's frankly not that overwhelming piece of evidence. It's just the sheer number of coincidences that just keep happening to pop up in Alec Murdoch's case. 
Now, under a direct examination, she also testified that the residue could have been transferred over to the raincoat if it was wrapped around a gun that had been fired. And she noted that 38 particles were found on the interior of the raincoat, while only 14 were found on the jacket's exterior, which would be unusual if it was worn right side out when, in fact, a gun was fired. Um, So she was asked, if you were taking it somewhere to hide it, would that transfer be consistent with a recently fired firearm? The prosecutors asked, and Ms. Fletcher agreed. She's an expert witness, so she can answer hypothetical questions. She also testified that she found trace amounts of gunshot residue on the shirt and shorts Mr. Murdoch was wearing the night of the murders, as well as from samples collected from his hands. But defense attorney Jim Griffin dismissed the significance of any of this evidence, noting that Mr. Murdoch was holding a shotgun when law enforcement arrived at the home on June 7th. Remember, Mr. Murdoch said he picked up the shotgun after finding his wife and son murdered on the property. So unless it's cleaned off or washed off, um, it could have stayed there for years, Mr. Griffin asked, and um, she agreed. Mr. Griffin also dismissed the residue found on the raincoat and on the seatbelt buckle of Murdoch's car, saying it could have been transferred at any time from Bo Whoop, the name given to Murdoch's father's shotgun, when it had been casually laid down on the seat of the car or on the raincoat. The defense has also argued to exclude the raincoat, saying that the testimony by the caregiver for Murdoch's mother did not connect the coat to Murdoch at all. As you may recall, Michelle Shelley Smith, the caregiver, testified that she saw Murdoch carrying a blue tarp or something into the house a week after the murders. But Smith said the item was not a raincoat. Investigators also found a blue tarp in Murdoch's mother's house. Fletcher testified that her office did not test the tarp for any material whatsoever because she wasn't asked to. There's a little bit of hay the defense can make, right? Why didn't you test it? While Alec Murdoch was allegedly using the name of uh, Financial Forge Consulting to siphon money from his clients, lawsuit settlements, an employee of the firm said that he never received checks from Mr. Murdoch. And we also heard from Mr. Murdoch's former paralegal, Annette Griswold, who testified early Wednesday that she repeatedly offered to send checks Murdoch made out to forge consulting to Michael Gunn, the company's principal senior consulting agent. Mr. Murdoch would tell her that he was going to meet with Mr. Gunn in person very soon and that she didn't need to mail out any checks. Well, we also heard from a law partner, a guy by the name of Ronnie Crosby. And he said that he rushed to his then law partner's home the night that he learned that Alec Murdoch's wife and son had been shot out there at their little country house. All the attorneys um, at the formerly what was known as Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Ellsroth, and Dietrich were concerned about Mr. Murdoch after the uh, murders. Many of the partners considered him a close friend, but on Tuesday, Crosby sat on the witness stand and identified Murdoch's voice on a video recorded on Paul's cell phone shortly before the family's dog kennels gunned down him and his mother, the third witness to link Murdoch to the voice on the video. Those are the voices of Paul Murdoch, Maggie Murdoch, and Alec Murdoch, Mr. Crosby said after listening to the video. In an earlier conversation with Mr. Murdoch, Mr. Crosby um, testified that he had, in fact, asked Mr. Murdoch whether he ever went down to the kennels with the victims that night and then came up. And he testified, too, that Mr. Murdoch said he had not. So all these little inconsistencies all starting to come together. Coincidences 
or just a lot of bad luck or part of the plan to kill your wife and son and try to cover it up. Oh, the tangled webs we weave when we attempt to deceive. So assuming uh, we have cameras back in the courtroom after the bomb threat, uh, we'll continue to bring you that trial. Next on the docket, can you believe this? Brian Koberger maybe has some issues with women. That's right. You know, Brian Koberger, the man charged with the slaying of four uh, University of Idaho students, was reportedly fired from his job as a teaching assistant just days before his arrest. Now, as we've explained before, Mr. Koberg was a doctoral candidate in criminology and a teaching assistant at the Washington State University at the Pullman campus. But apparently, Mr. Koberger had received several warnings from the university in the months prior to his arrest and was officially terminated from his teaching assistant position on December 19th of 2022. A letter that was given to Mr. Koberger before he was terminated stated that he had a sexist attitude towards women when he interacted with the uh, students there at the university. And in fact, it was reported that he was rude to women and it apparently graded women's papers much differently than the men. Now, this letter also reportedly detailed a timeline of events leading up to Koberger's termination, beginning with an alleged altercation with the professor on September 23rd, just weeks into the job. The letter allegedly states that Koberger and the professor then met on October 3rd to discuss professional behavior. The professor then reportedly emailed Koberger on October 21st to tell them that he had failed to meet the expectations set out in the meeting earlier that month. They met again on November 12th to discuss an improvement plan and another meeting was held on December 7th to discuss how that plan was going to be implemented. On December 9th, Koberger reportedly had a second altercation with the professor. He was terminated 10 days later. Hmm, interesting, interesting, interesting. Three of the four victims were females. He has issues with women. Hmm. Hmm. Well, maybe it's just nothing at all. Next in the docket. Alec Baldwin comes out swinging. Defense attorneys for actor Alec Baldwin have filed to have the special prosecutor, Andrea Reeb, disqualified from prosecuting the Rust movie shooting case because she is an elected official. So Reeb won election to the New Mexico House of Representatives in November after she was tasked with determining charges in the fatal shooting regarding the death of Helena Hutchins. She was an elected district attorney prior to running for the state house. Baldwin's legal team said in its motion that Reeb is exercising either the executive power or the judicial power and her continued service as a special prosecutor is unconstitutional under the state law. Now, the Santa Fe District Attorney's um, Office, uh, Mary Carmack Altweiss, who appointed Reeb special prosecutor, said Baldwin's motion was just a diversion. She stated his attorneys can use whatever tactics they want to distract from the fact that Helena Hutchins died because of gross negligence and a reckless disregard for safety on the Rust film set. We'll see how that works out. I'm gonna do a little research on that. You know, being a part of the legislature doesn't mean you don't get to do a day job uh, because it's usually a part-time gig and they don't meet all the time. It's for a limited period of time. You know, that's kind of the way legislatures were set up. You know, you were a citizen legislature, you were a citizen legislator, went to the Capitol for a couple months out of the year, then you went back and did your other job. Just for the fact that she works for the government, um, I think seems a little um, 
I, I don't think it's going to get a whole lot of play, but I get it. Alec Baldwin's coming out swinging. He has made his bed. Now he's going to have to lie in it. And, oh, yeah, I guess, and, and he apparently did lie when he said the gun just went off. And when you have that condescending attitude that Mr. Alec Baldwin can oftentimes uh, portray, uh, it makes people not necessarily want to like you. So I'm sure there's probably been some initial conversation between the district attorney and his defense attorneys to see if there's any resolution. But if it involves a felony or even some jail or prison time, maybe that's why they're coming out swinging. Next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day, a Florida man allegedly broke into a Palm Coast gas station and stole several items. He was identified and later arrested after he, well, he left his debit card behind because deputies responded to the business when the alarm went off early Sunday morning, found the door of the business unlocked. They found a debit card with the name Lance Kurtz on it on the counter near the register. The gas station owner reviewed the surveillance video, which showed a man entering the store from the back, taking multiple items, and then unlocking the front door and leaving. Now, law enforcement said that they recognized Mr. Kurtz from a previous vehicle fire near the gas station that happened earlier in the evening. They spoke with Mr. Kurtz, who was found in the same location as his disabled vehicle, and he reportedly admitted to breaking into the business and taking the items. Now, according to the arrest affidavit, Kurtz told deputies he left behind his debit card so he could go back to the business and pay for the items later. The uh, police noted that he must have really wanted those items to break into a closed convenience store. Leaving a debit card behind does not absolve you from the theft or committing of the burglary. Now, the 20-year-old was arrested and booked into the county jail on charges of armed burglary of a dwelling and structure and petite theft. He was released after posting a $10,000 bond. Yes, the sheriff is absolutely correct. And Mr. Kurtz, you have to understand, just because you steal something or break into somebody's home, but you have the intention to bring it back, doesn't necessarily absolve you of the crime. Like if I steal somebody's car and I say, hey, but I brought it back and I gassed it up and I even washed it, it's still a motor vehicle theft, which is a crime, which is almost not a crime if you live in the state of Colorado because it's a misdemeanor and they don't even investigate him anymore. But don't break into buildings, Mr. Kurtz. That's wrong. Not advising you to steal anything, but you know what I'm saying. You get it. All right. Thanks for watching. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.